Kaiser Ising Bremen. Dear Lord, please soften our hearts that we can hear your word and see what you've got for us. Your word that is a light unto our feet. And we pray that we will stay on the narrow path, looking to you and worshipping you always. Amen. So let me just read the passage that we're going to be doing. And I have put last, um, last time I preached the passage in as well, because that is bearing on what we're going to be talking about today, the armor of God. And it's very important that I refresh your memory, because we're going to be using that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, do you take after your mother or father? A statement that is heard from time to time. But have you ever paused to consider what it actually means? It can be viewed either in a broad or a narrow sense. And from, from my experience, it generally only applies to one attribute. The one that is pre presented to direct the statement. He is persistent like his father, striving to get to the root of the problem. You see, context is everything. It does not refer to every possible attribute of the father, just the specified attribute in the stated context. The reason I want to clarify this is because we are going to be talking about the armor of God and the various pieces that it consists of. And for each piece, we have a correlating attribute to focus on. But before we begin, we need to decide who the armor belongs to. If it is a priestly armor or an armor of a Roman god, both or neither. So firstly, if we look at the priestly armor, we know that God did give the requirements of the priestly armor to Moses. So the armor of the, of the priest is from God and not man. Secondly, Jesus is our high priest, and he applied all these pieces of armor to his life. Not only that, but God displayed these attributes which are recorded in the book of Isaiah, which was on the board when you walked in. Hopefully you read it, because I'm not going to go through all of that. The scriptures not only affirm the priestly armor, but now they affirm that it is God's armor. 
This then leads us to the question, if the attributes described in the armor are pointing to a priestly function or that of a soldier. Looking at the attributes, we have truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, word of God, and prayer. Not the attributes of a soldier, to say the least. I found that sermons often looked at Paul applying his situation in jail under the watchful eye of a Roman God, as well as the name of the Roman sword to be the springboard for this passage. But what if this is only part of the explanation? Let me explain. Knowing Paul was familiar with both the priests and the Roman soldiers makes this potentially a blended passage. Two characters having two sides. Firstly, let's look at Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a person that had received letters to persecute the followers of the way. The Jesus followers, the Christians. By order from none other than that of the high priest. I would say he would have known what the garments were worn by the, by the priest, at the very least because of his, his studies under Gamaliel, and he would have been familiar with the, with the Old Testament passages of Exodus 39. But he may have seen them directly because of the high priest who had given him the orders directly. So, the armor... Would not, <clears throat> sorry, the armor would be that of a priest rather than a soldier. The high priest that w not only was persecuting the church, but had put Jesus to death. A war of deception, a spiritual war. We should then see if. This view is consistent with the spiritual battle that occurred in the verses 10 to 13. Remember that the spiritual battle that is played out intersects the physical world, one in which Roman gods and priests are players. An, ap an apocalyptic image, just like that in the books of Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, to mention a few. A type of writing that reveals the true nature of things. Often written in a poetic style with much symbolism. Jesus who reveals himself to Paul who was on the road to Damascus to persecute the followers of Jesus. Thus opening Paul's eyes to the true nature of what he was doing. Keep this in mind as we look at the Roman God's uniform and what it symbolized. The good, verse, the good versus the bad. The rule of God as opposed to the rule of the beast. The rule of Augustus Caesar. Caesar who conquered lands, pillaging them and subduing them for his gain. A peace that had a stench of subjugation and misery. Hardship and slavery for all non-subjects and a high price 
to be paid for the select few that could buy their citizenship or earn it through bowing their knee to Caesar and earning it by partaking in the power and cult of the Roman system and army. However, some of the Praetorian God were Christians. This, the second contradiction that muddies the water of the picture of the armor versus the armor of God. Perhaps our per pers perspectives are wrong, as we have the priests ruling in Jerusalem, priests that use the same demonic power and systems, stealing from the poor, the widows, choosing what laws they would follow, and being hypocrites of the highest order. A high priest in the temple of Jerusalem, who was not being a priest, sending Paul to kill and subdue the early church, a priest that was acting like Augustus Caesar. Paul, seeing both sides of the priest and Roman soldier debacle, priests who were not priests, but servants of Satan. Then we have the Roman soldier, who, soldiers who were not soldiers of Satan, but had turned true priests. Yes, some of the Praetorian God had been converted, a spiritual transformation. All these inconsistencies, smoke and mirrors, that open up a dilemma, one that enables you to see clearly. The dilemma says you cannot look at the outside appearance or a title to evaluate whose team a person plays on, but by the character one displays. So we're back to the question, who do you play for? What does your life proclaim? What are your signature moves? For God or for Satan, does your uniform consist of truth, righteousness, salvation, faith, the word of God, readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace and prayer? Spiritual characteristics that direct our physical existence. God's ways that are not man's ways. God's armor which is given by God to men. A priestly armor of God's attributes for true priests. Are you a priest or a wolf in priest's clothing? What is the truth? Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness to give the gospel of peace. Now we will be looking at the individual pieces of the armor of God and how they assist us in dealing with the schemes of the devil. From the start, knowing that each piece works with every other piece. A pair of shoes is useless without the rest of the armor. Then there is the second component. A person does not fight alone. Each person wearing the armor is a member of a church, a citizen of heaven, with heavenly duties. A person that stands up for truth, being like the good Bereans, 
trusting what, testing what is said, having fastened the belt of truth in the word. The first bit of the armor is already in place. Why? Because it, because it is in the past tense, having fastened the belt of truth, a prerequisite of being a saint to whom this letter is being addressed. You need to have the word of truth dwelling in you to address your sin. You need to know that you are dead in sin. We were devils. And don't say you were merely drowning when someone threw you a lifeline. You need to understand you were dead. Dead men don't move. Dead men don't reach out for lifelines. The book of Ephesians says, You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You followed the world and the devil. That was until you heard the truth. The truth that brought you to your knees. The truth of who you were. A demon. An enemy of Jesus. But he was willing to save you. He was willing to forgive you. Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul writes down in the previous chapter, you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The thing is, do you practice truth? What does your understanding of truth mean? Do you interpret truth as a standard or as an ideal? A standard that must be met at all costs. Think about it. All costs. With no excuses. Or is truth an ideal? Something that nobody has to necessarily meet. Ideally, we would like to have consensus, but we can settle for less. How much less? Well, there is not a standard. So that is variable. And effectively, this leads to no truth. And you have an out clause for everything you do. And nobody can say a thing against you. However, would you like it to be an ideal or standard that people should not murder or rape? Place yourself in the victim's shoes. I bet you change your mind. The truth always comes out when it is applied back to you. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And he also says, by the power of God who is working in you will help far more than you know. So we are not to lie and we are called to address the lies we tell ourselves. How often do we wear your whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas t-shirt? When have you put on put your t-shirt on your body? When you have put put your t-shirt on your body, what is going on around you and in your mind? What aspects of your life do you explore? What do you, 
you want to do. We lie to ourselves when we think that we can hide our sins from God. We lie to ourselves in so many different ways. Some will tell themselves that they will come to Jesus next week. Again, they say that they will ask their neighbor around next week. Others say that this time will be the last time they will sin like that. Well, some say, next week I will forgo my hobbies for my spouse. Tomorrow, next week, soon, are all meaningless without conviction. The arrows of sin are often poisoned with inaction. You don't do what you know you should do. A procrastination that puts worldly practices and desires ahead of the work God has for you. We should be looking for opportunities to work with God. Work that he is already doing in your homes, in your workplaces, in your churches, and in your neighborhoods. Then there is the issue of the lies we believe. Lies like, you have a rubber wrist. And you cannot change. Remember in the garden when Satan said, you shall not surely die. Remember he's the devil, a deceiver and a master of all lies. The only recourse is to know the person who is truth. Jesus and the promises he gives. Promises that will turn you into a different person, a new creation, born again. One that can say no to sin, having a wrist of steel. Ask the believers around you. They have a story of hope for you to hear. They were told they had a rubber wrist too. But look at them now. They can confirm the change God has made in their lives. Ask them about their testimony. Get to know them and watch. And for those who are Christians, are you ready to give an account of the hope that is in you? The next piece of armor is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Note that there is righteousness that Jesus gives us, righteousness through his death, which he imputes to us, a spiritual transaction that has been made for us. However, we are called to, put, to also put on the righteousness in our lives, being holy and blameless in the eyes of God. A call for us to love our neighbors like Christ did. Our righteousness is not only a once-off gift, but there is a received but not yet obtained component. Yes, we have Christ's righteousness, but we are to become righteous like him. This is, a, this is called sanctification, and this will 
take a lifetime of striving through endless cycles of failure and success to align our righteousness to imitate Jesus. Note that the breastplate that the high priest wore in Exodus 28 had 12 stones representing all the tribes of Israel. 12 tribes that the priest was called to minister to, to make petitions for and to cleanse, a foreshadowing of Christ, who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ, our true priest. The breastplate also contained the Urim and the Thummim. This, this will of God, so the will of God, that was kept close to the priest's heart. We too should, have, should also have this will of, for the heart of God to be righteous. Christ gave us the Holy Spirit to allow us to know the heart of God. If we are a kingdom of priests, is our conduct one of the means we use to minister? Then in continuation of the Bible passage, it says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. First of all, it says, as shoes for your feet. This is a picture. It is not, it's not about, the, about the shoes, but the characteristics of them. Firstly, you see that the Roman shoes or sandals were equipped to protect your feet from harm when transversing dif difficult terrain quickly. Then there, then there are two pictures that emanate from the, des the description of the shoes of peace. What do shoes of peace look like? Are they on Roman feet marching to war? No. Or are they on priests' feet, feet that are willing to make petition to God for his help to save his people? Paying the price, a sacrificial price of blood in the Old Testament so that they can be set free a shadow of the price that will, be pay, will cost Jesus his life, a price that will save you from, your judgment, from the judgment of an angry God, a righteous and fitting payment for your sin, paid by the same God that is a judge. Secondly, when do soldiers have shoes of peace? When the war is won, when the soldier returns home, a triumphant march by the army that was celebrated throughout the city, called a parousia of the victorious king. Things that you, you would have seen included the king, the spoils of war, followed by the army and the slaves. The slaves, a sign of, of victory and boasting, especially if the losing king and generals can be paraded for all to see, a procession of note, a celebration for the peace that has come, a victorious cry that rings out through shouts, music, 
horns blowing, dancing, and heralding of the good news of peace. However, this is not a Roman victory. It is the gospel of Christ, the Prince of Peace, the one that has overcome death and sin. And this is the good news we shout out in the streets. Christ has overthrown death and sin and is seated on his heavenly throne and he is offering you peace with him. Going back to the, passi- the passage, the words as shoes seems to point to the priests who would not be wearing shoes on their feet because the ground on which they were walking was holy. Being at peace with God because of, his cleansing rit- because of the cleansing ritual prior to entering the Holy of Holies. The priests that were to teach the word of God are now called to proclaim the good news. Priests that are the heralds of the victorious king with the message that he has conquered death and rules. Secondly, the priests were called to minister to others. Here it calls us to be quick and in all circumstances to speak the saving words of the gospel of peace, a convergence of images that cannot be be ignored. The text says that we are called to minister the gospel of peace. This peace is not peace with man, but peace with God. The peace that you get when you stop fighting God, when you stop hurting others. The peace that gives life to the walking dead, to the sons of disobedience. To clarify, Jesus died to save, save you. Life that resembles love towards man and God, a love that Jesus gives you when you accept him as your king and savior, and a peace that passes all understanding. He breaks the chains of sin in in this life to set you free so you can worship him. The judge that is able to pardon you because you asked him to to pay the price for your release. A release that anyone that asks will receive. A peace that demands your, your conforming to his rule. Lastly, the shoes must be prepared to give an account of this wonderful act of love being offered to all. Are your feet ready? Are you looking for opportunities to help people find God? Are you willing to show them what this life looks like at a drop of a hat? Showing them the hope that is in you. Have you told somebody your story about your friend Jesus, your King Jesus, and what he has done for you? Paul says that, God has prepared good, wo- good works for you before the creation of this world. Good works where you work in the fields of souls. 
for God's glory. You being an implement fit for his use, a treasured implement with eternal worth, an implement that shows love by being willing to speak to people about the peril they are in. Love that has potential for changing the destination of devils. A standing firm in God while marching forward, knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail. Closing prayer. Lord, we hear what you have to say. And we pray that you'll be with us, that you'll open our eyes, that truth will speak to our hearts, changing us, that we will look to your righteousness and apply to the people around us. They will give you good news to all those because you're the one that empowers us. We are weak, but you are strong. You give us the strength to do this. And I pray that you'll be with each one of us this week, changing us to the people that you want us to be.